Welcome! Welcome back everyone to um, Love Labour's Watch, hopefully one of your choice pop culture, culture podcasts. Yeah. Pop culture podcasts. <laughs> All the culture. All the culture. Um, I'm Helena. I'm Francesca. Yep. And yeah, we're so excited to be back. Um, and yeah, we are talking about a lot of culture this week. We're talking about the Oscars. 2020 Academy Awards, yep. which just took place um, in Hollywood. Obviously, we were there. No, sorry, no, we were there in, in spirit. Yeah. Just in terms, of we're going to chat about the the fashion. We're going to talk about the winners, um, not the losers, because they are are they losers? A to begin with, those who don't I mean, win the Academy Awards, nominees, they are still like, nominees. Did you read what they get given as um, nominees in like the gift no. bag? It's fully crazy and very Hollywood. It's all like um, an, a trip around Antarctica on a like fancy cruise. Does everyone get that? Yeah, oh and someone made the point that Scarlett Johansson was nominated twice. It was like, does she get two? <laughs> get two fancy cruises. Anyway. So we'll get we'll jump into all that, and we're also um, going to be talking about um, the new film or new adaptation of the Jane Austen novel Emma, which is has come out um, on Friday the fourteenth of February, aka Valentine's Day. The perfect time for a romantic comedy to come out, we would argue. And um, we very luckily got to see an advanced screening of it um, before the date, um, and it is brought. Uh, brought to the big screen by Universal, um, and generally we absolutely loved it, so we're chatting about that too, as well as probably a whole host of other things. Yeah, so it's going to be another exciting movie-themed podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, you can expect our thoughts on the hotness of Mr Knightley. Oh, so, I the, mean, some, some gratuitous hot moments in Emma to discuss. The swoonworthiness, uh, the comedy, mm. and in terms of the Oscars, obviously we're going to get right into it in a minute, but yeah, expect all our, all our thoughts to come. Key thoughts, yeah. So, let's go. Yes. So we, we covered a bit um, in our last podcast like about the uh, diversity or lack thereof of the nominations, which mm. came under fire once again um, and has kind of been a talking point throughout the awards season. Yeah. The other kind of major talking point has probably been that it's been somewhat predictable as to who's won. Like the same kind of four actors have basically won in Best Actor, Best Actress, Supporting Actress, Supporting Actor in like the globes um like after yeah yeah um, absolutely and i think the the problem really really you know comes into focus when you think about the fact that even if there are more is more diversity in nominations and in wins they're often lower level wins you know not lower level but you know what i mean like not it's, the major categories yeah the major categories aren't really being populated by anyone more than the same kind of players which you know is something that the academy i think is definitely striving to deal with but i think Equally, as this year's ceremony shows, when there's what one uh, one black actor or actress nominated for anything, um, does show you that there is still some ways to go. But what was quite interesting is that there was a bit of a um, a milestone, yeah. exciting shakeup moment when um, Parasite um, won well, like a, a whole handful of awards, but mm-hmm. crucially, Best Picture as well as this Best International Picture. And best director for Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho, yes. Um, which was, I think, um, it had kind of been like predicted in the lead up. I mean, the movie has obviously had incredible reviews. Yes. Um, as a disclosure, it literally just came out in the UK, so we haven't seen it. I think because it looks, it looks quite scary. And like the, tra- <laughs> the trailer, I will say, it's really cool how enigmatic the trailer is. Yeah. Like, I saw it in the cinema the other day, and I was like, you have no idea what it's about. Like, aside what has been kind of spoken about is the fact that it's about um, these two families, one. Mm-hmm. who are very one family that's very poor and one that's very well off and yes. like the way they kind of become intertwined uh, but that doesn't tell you anything about like what actually happens anyway that aside it is incredibly exciting that mm-hmm. um he was clearly thought to be very well deserved with the win and he won over someone like quentin tarantino for once upon a time in hollywood or joker for the i think oh, yeah. joker took the bafta didn't it for best film and i think that it had 11 or so nominations in the at the oscars and i think what seemed to me was that people kind of, you know, the the commentators and critics tend to kind of, what's the word, predict Oscar wins depending on how the Golden Globes go and how the uh, BAFTAs go. You know, if you win certain categories or come close in certain categories in those awards, you're likely to succeed at the Oscars. The fact that um, Bong Joon-ho and, um, the, and Parasite took the wins is over things like Joker and... Um, who directed Joker? Why well, I don't know who directed Todd Joker. Phillips. Todd Phillips. Um is 
a good thing. And I do think that it's kind of notable the Academy not chose to shake it up because it is voted for in secret, but um, made a statement, I suppose, in shaking it up. And I did really enjoy, um, I've, I think we've all really enjoyed Bong Joon-ho in this whole award season. You yeah, know, oh, 100%. You know, coming, I mean, I think I've seen commentary from him being like, I'm very excited, he's very excited to go home. Do yeah, you... he's, he's come over as such a chill, like, down-to-earth yeah. guy, which I think is really refreshing, and it doesn't feel... Like it's you know put on like for the lols. It's like no, yeah. he genuinely like it's just has his priorities right. You know. Yeah, and like, he's wondering like there's loads of pictures of him like uh, with a digital camera just like taking photos of stuff of his cast members. Yeah, 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 and I think that's so great. And again, like representing, I saw a tweet as well that was basically a big picture of the class on the red carpet, um, basically being like representing Asian excellence. And I think that's you know also a really great thing that representation in the industry this entire cast are on the carpet at the awards on the stage holding up the award holding up the actual trophies you know that kind of those kind of pictures being projected around the world I think it's a very important thing to be it's a very important thing to be happening particularly you know it reminds me um of the moment as well that Moonlight won um over La La Land what award show was that was that the Oscars again yeah 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 awesome. and that was that watershed moment where like this pretty you know all white cast were sort of not shepherded off the stage or anything but they were well, being... they kind of were yeah yeah the, the circumstances of the wrong um the wrong, wrong. name being yeah called. and then yeah. you had this film which was kind of about you know young black men's lives actually winning and you know those kind of things i think those are those are very um, what's the word um pictorial moments and i think that like you know having paris have parasite cast be there representing what you know korean cinema can do is yeah it's a really great thing um as much as i'm probably too scared to see the film well, my my shortcoming i'll definitely say well yeah i mean you know bong joon ho said um he called the oscars a local award ceremony um, yeah. everyone was like oh it's so cool that he then was like hey yeah i just actually won like the most awards i think um but yeah it it, it highlights how often it is very uh, it's very much an american focused award ceremony mm. and there is this tendency for Hollywood to view itself as the best, and yeah, and that's it. You know, that's and so insular. Off. Yeah, um, and by opening up that, you know, this was as well as you know, it was a milestone on numerous levels because it was also the first time a um, movie not in the English language had won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, previously it's always been like a, a movie that has yeah, it yeah. And again, I read some commentary that was saying that some Academy members that will name remain unnamed because I don't know who they are. Uh, rejected Parasite out of hand just because they didn't want to bother to read subtitles. It's a very stupid excuse to reject a film. So I think, again, like, a foreign language film winning one of the biggest awards in the West. Um, yeah, it's a nice change, I think. Particularly because, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I do think that Joker, for all its excellence uh, in filmmaking, is a story that is not unusual. And, you know, the, st- the jo- Joker actors and people who play Joker have had success at award ceremonies for about 20 years now, so... It's nice. It's nice to have something different win. I yeah, think, as well. also something original. Um, because obviously, you know, Joker is a, mm. based on a comic book character, as you say, who has featured in films for a long time. And yeah, um, yeah. So it's always quite exciting when it's like something original and unique. Yeah, and suddenly I think Parasite touches on social issues that reverberate in places more than just you know in Korea, where yeah. you know, there are people who live in the same circumstances as the poverty-stricken family who parasitically. I assume, take over the rich family. And wealth disparity around the world is definitely a thing. And I saw Bong Joon-ho quoted saying, people have said to me from all different kind of walks of life or all different areas, this film, it makes, you know, this film reverberates with them, it resonates. And he's like, yes, the enemy they all talk about is, he says, capitalism. Mm. He's making a political social statement with that film. And it is quite funny though, that there have been some commentators too, who are like, I don't understand. Like the rich people in the film are just taking in the, the poor people. Like, why 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 is there social critique there and you're like ah oh. like some people don't get it but yeah well we'll definitely have to actually yeah if you've watched parasite can you tell us whether we will be scared and i i know that sounds really wimpy <laughs> we are wimpy yeah we are wimpy and also i do think there's a bit of a difference between watching something in your own home in the relative comfort mm. versus obviously cinemas today are very lovely but you're surrounded by other people so if you start like breaking out like yeah. you know that's... but speaking of there is also a film we can talk about that made a bit of a splash at the oscars in a minor way that we are also too afraid to watch in the cinema and that is cats <laughs> it was, did it make a splash at the oscars? yeah james corden and um james corden and 
Rebel Wilson turned up in those cat outfits and made a bit right. of a... And then Rebel Wilson, obviously, we might have talked about this on the last episode. Rebel, we did actually, Rebel Wilson gave a hilarious speech at the BAFTAs, which basically... There's, I think the ceremony ceremonies are renowned being very boring, and I heard that like Rebel Wilson's speech definitely livened up the party because she basically, again, like she allied the fact that there are no there were no female directors nominated at the BAFTAs or at the at the Academy Awards, the Oscars, um, by saying there are no felines, you know, reference oh, to cats it was a nominated film, for um so and again you know that film is definitely one it didn't it hasn't been nominated for anything so it's bits of purpose to our discussion <laughs> but um yeah we are not willing to watch that film in the cinema yeah i've yeah, heard that it's just unsettling yeah for a similar reason um because yeah i actually obviously yeah we are not conflating these films in terms of quality no no sorry Bong Joon Ho, we're not saying that your film is like cats we're not saying that i wonder what he thinks of cats though like he just seems like such a great i feel like he would enjoy cats yeah maybe i mean it is particularly it's it's subversive perhaps unintentionally so but yeah I did actually google is Parasite scary um, because yeah so it just came out in the UK and I was like oh you know it's got all these five star reviews obviously it just won the you know the Oscar um, and I read this article that was like breaking it down and it was like it's not it doesn't seem as though it's a horror film in the sense that there is like a ghost or like a monster <laughs> a ghost. or something um, but they were like it is a little bit unsettling so I don't know we'll have to see but... I think maybe that probably there are ways um to make films be very um, full of suspense um, and to make you feel very uncomfortable. And I do think that like, that's a technique that I imagine Parasite uses. Um, but yeah, so to move on to a few more other Oscars things, congratulations to Bong Joon-ho and the whole cast of Parasite. Um, I, again, I personally think, I mean, I've been a huge fan of um, Korean music for a long time now. Um, so it's really nice to see for me it's really nice to see diverse international cinema being recognised just like it is to see diverse international music being recognised as well and I think some um, K-pop groups performed at, or at least one K-pop group performed at their like Oscars party um, that Ooh. Parasite threw and that was apparently it was like the ticket of the town in Hollywood wow. um, I, really I always awesome. enjoy reading those um, articles that are like uh, explain like what went down at the various like Oscars after parties. I feel like so much be so much gossip. Yeah, literally, like these articles are kind of like you know Timothy Chalamet was talking to one person and then like Florence Pugh was doing something else What's and that? Brad Pitt just wandered in and mm-hmm. then it like name drops like you know Tan France from Queer Eye and it's just like it's a yeah. roller coaster. It must yes. be so crazy to be there. I know absolutely. Which is again, I think it's why you know the awards season must be a really good. It like, must be like a, you know um, conferences that big businesses go to to network. Like that's basically the Oscars, right? I imagine if you're a big director and you want to like scope some actors or some producers or music score people composers that's it um for your next film it's probably a great place to be that's true and you do hear people say oh you know such and such approached me at the golden globes and like tapped me on the shoulder and said mm-hmm. like oh i hear you're doing this movie and i want to be part of it or yeah. I'm interested in this um, um yeah what, and to sorry i was gonna say what um you know to move on to kind of the fashion oh, aspect yeah. of the Oscars. Did you have a favourite look or a favourite statement that anyone made or something that really stood out for you? Ooh, well, oh my gosh. I mean, I actually, to name drop a YouTuber, I always watch Grace Helbig, mm. who's a big YouTuber. She's been on the, on the platform for years. Uh, I always watch her roundups of um, the fashion at the Oscars mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, Billy Porter, Oh yeah. every single, I mean, it wasn't the level of the retractable no. hat that he had at the... BAFTAs, the Golden Globes? Yeah, the Golden Globes. Golden yeah. Globes, yeah. It wasn't that level, but um, I did really enjoy um, Florence Pugh's. We love Florence Pugh, but her dress was beautiful. It really was. Um, yeah. It had all these le- like, lovely tiered layers, and it was and blue color. and green. Yeah. Um, and who else? I mean, I'm not going to talk about Timothy Chalamet, because everyone was talking about him, and his outfit was great. Though I will say, he did look as if he was off to work at a, um, a repair shop afterwards. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a bold move, and I do feel like in a way, we've come to expect more from Timothy, you know? Like, he kind of... In, in terms of him, like, pushing the boat and sort of, you yeah. know, dressing kind of in, you know, perhaps a more, like, stereotypically, like, feminine rather than masculine way mm. or, you know, like, going for some, like, unusual design. I feel like he didn't really do that. More for all. Like, turned up with this kind of, like, roundabout it. But, you know, he's Timothy Chalamet. He can do yes, what he likes. Yes, he can. Um, and then, from what I saw, I also really enjoyed... Um, I will say Scarlett Johansson's. I mean, she's a beautiful mm. woman, but... I do think that um, I really enjoyed, I saw a tweet that was kind of saying that she didn't wear she hadn't pointed out she hadn't worn any neck jewelry right. to uh, maybe emphasise the dress she had on which was sort of this chainy top with um, this sort of it was all it was all silvery kind of colour it's very shimmery, wasn't it? so, yeah so I really enjoyed Scarlett Johansson's outfit oh and Janelle Monet Janelle Monet oh, as and always and yeah, yeah and the chainmail cape and her. I thought it was really really awesome and I think you know Oscars it's really interesting because like I was looking at some of the um 
some of the um what's that the, the grammys fashion and interestingly i think a lot of musicians were going full out in terms of their crazy outfits there like met level crazy and at the oscars this year it seemed a bit more toned down i didn't really see anything too bonkers this year which i think is probably more in fitting with the oscars vibe yeah um, and, and if anything i think the kind of there definitely seems to be a trend of people wearing capes um which I found quite interesting, and it kind of made me want to wear a cape. I saw a very interesting article today, actually, from, I think it was from The Guardian, which is basically talking about the impact of Little Women uh, on fashion trends that have come out in the past, or maybe the co-currency of these two trends at the same time. So, um, because obviously um, Little Women won Best costume yeah. for the oscars <laughs> it's only win unfortunately but the costumes were absolutely wonderful we've talked yeah. in our last episode about how the costuming itself really helped it feel kind of fresh and modern um and also time uh, kind of time period periody as well um which is actually something that emma also does and we'll get onto that when we talk about that film in a bit but um they kind of talked about how things like capes and ruffles and layers and the kind of tailoring that you see in Little Women has been showing up on the catwalks in the last few months. And they were talking about capes. Capes are showing up at the Oscars too. And they all have those lovely poncho um, tied together capes mm. over their dresses in Little Women. So it's interesting to think about like the way they, the style choices they've made in Little Women and now what's turning up on the red carpets. I think that is really interesting and, and something in terms of adaptation that's kind of fascinating that, you know, something like Little Women has been adapted many a time. Mm. And each time they've tried to replicate the period fashion of the era, but through the lens of that particular era in which the movie has been made, whether yeah. that's the 40s or the 90s or, or you know, the, the present day. Um, and yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of people I follow on Instagram, you know, saying they're trying to replicate the little women look in their everyday life mm, in terms of, mm-hmm. yeah, the beret and like... The little, the little boots. But it, I was really pleased the costume designer won. Um, her name's Jacqueline Duran, and mm-hmm. she also did... Kira Knightley's incredible dress in Atonement, the green dress. Oh she did the, move, the, the stuff for that film. Um, that is that is that is a throwback. I love that. Yeah, but such an iconic moment, right? Yes. Um, and clearly, color is something she plays with in quite an interesting way because she, and I think this was something she talked to uh, talked to Greta Gerwig about as well. Mm-hmm. She gave each of the girls a color mm. in Little Women um, that they generally wore. Uh, so with Amy, it was blue. Yeah. With Joe, it was red, um, and it was based on. A moment in the book where Marmy gives them notebooks, which are different colours, oh, and that's okay. where she sourced the colours from. Oh, right. uh, which I just thought that's like really cool. what a lovely touch. You know, like that's yeah. not a moment that's in this movie adaptation, but it does happen in um, yeah in a different way. Yeah, so uh, yeah, really good. Um, really, really nice to see little moment represented there. And Monique, in terms of representation. Um, uh, was Taika Waititi winning best adapted screenplay for? Jojo Rabbit, a film mm-hmm. which I absolutely loved. And I love Taika Waititi anyway, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, I mean, he single-handedly reinvigorated the Thor the Thor series for Marvel and arguably changed, I would say, Marvel's approach to how they did their more comedic films. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Jojo Rabbit, I thought, was a, such, a good, such a good film from a director who I think truly tried to encapsulate sort of the kind of issues coming out of kind of just post-Nazi Germany and how we talk about war and suffering and, and fighting and things like that, especially when there are young people involved. So, yeah. And he is obviously um, Kiwi and Maori, so it's a representation for Indigenous people as well. And he mentioned that in his speech. Mm-hmm. He actually referenced the Indigenous lands of which they were... What, which the um, amphitheatre they were... Amphitheatre? Auditorium? Auditorium they were in was actually built on. Yeah. So that kind of representation... And he gave and he mentioned in his speech as well that he says Indigenous people are the original storytellers. So to have them represented on stage today when there's been quite a fraught history for Indigenous peoples um, is, yeah, great, I think. And he's such a fabulous director in terms of the kind of voices he highlights and the difference in his voice, so... He's yeah. another like very charismatic speech giver as well. Yes, um, he is. And it was interesting, you know, you touched on like the themes of war because obviously the big war movie this year, sort of like more traditional war movie, was nineteen seventeen, yes. which actually went away somewhat empty-handed. It got um, an, an award for um, best cinematography, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess was somewhat in recognition of the whole editing thing. Um, you know, the smooth edit. Yes, um, the one-shot thing. <laughs> yeah, and of course also the very striking. Uh, yeah, striking cinematography, but um, yeah, that was perhaps quote unquote a very sort of a traditional Oscar film, um, in that it had that kind of 
oh, it's a sweeping epic about this period of history. And actually... Yeah, very emotional. Yeah, yeah it didn't... It, did, it In a way that was quite pleasing, it didn't... Uh, it, it didn't get... It didn't get kind of pushed to the forefront in the way that you might have expected. Which is nice. Um, I don't want to say that it's a bad film, because it definitely isn't. It was a great film. But I do think that the story has been told. Not in that specific way, but it has been told. Meanwhile, something like Jojo Rabbit, you know, for me, um, I do understand people talking about Jojo Rabbit. It's been quite divisive, right? Um, my parents went to see it, and my mum thought it was funny, and my dad doesn't think that making fun of Hitler is good. He's kind of of the opinion that it's too serious an issue, right, to mm. have Taika Waititi playing Hitler as an imaginary friend of a small boy. Um, but personally, I think that a making light of these very serious things is one way to critique them, to, to critique them. Um, and equally, um, I think the way in which it kind of highlights the lives of normal German people living through it is to make a point that everybody has to submit in some way when it comes to regimes and to war and there is no right and no absolute right and absolute wrong um and i think the journey of the character of uh, jojo um from sort of ignorance to understanding is shown quite sympathetically in terms of how he has forced to learn and things like that and having hitler as a funny comedic aside just generally i think helps to sort of demystify him as well but again i think taika waititi takes risks in the way that he does his cinematography and the way that he does his scripts and for me again i love anything that's subversive um i remember i went to see uh i mean joker you wouldn't think that i would like it you know because it's a bit of an incel movie but i did think it was subversive in that it was doing something which not many other films were doing to give it credit so yeah anything subversive for me and yeah. in terms of the oops, we touched a bit on joker but in terms mm -hmm. of the core like categories of the, the acting awards um Brad Pitt, yeah, he was a bit of a shoe-in by the end, wasn't he, for Best Supporting Actor? Yeah, particularly because it's like Leo DiCaprio. Has Leo DiCaprio won his Oscar yet? Yeah, he did. He for, did. Um, what did he win it for? Oh, that, the, the Revenant? Yeah, The yeah. Revenant. Um, and I, yeah, I agree. I think that Brad Pitt, at this point, he has never won an acting Oscar. No, this so, is his first time, yeah. You know, like, go him. Yeah, I mean, like, I thought, I, I enjoyed that film. Like, he was definitely good in it. Uh, I think sometimes that with those uh, those awards... They kind of give people them almost like a slightly in recognition of their careers, you know, so yeah, far. Yeah. So the idea that perhaps somebody like Saoirse Ronan wouldn't win. Because she's quite young. Because she's quite young. And of course there are exceptions to that rule. Like, you know, sometimes like Jennifer Lawrence, she won when she was really young. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Lapita Nyong'o as well. But I think sometimes you have a situation where you think, oh, they're kind of recognising not just their obviously good work in that film that they've mm -hmm. just done, but like their kind of past work. And I think... The other example of that maybe was Laura Dern, who yes. won Best Supporting Actress for Marriage Story, mm. which, like, she's great in it, but she's also in it very briefly, which I, I guess that's what supporting actor, actress is, but... Um, is it meant to be that brief? So I have seen Marriage Story, yeah. um, and really enjoyed it. Um, and, 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 yeah, she plays um, the the lawyer who um, Scarlett Johansson, um, her her character hires yeah. and therefore kind of ups the ante of the divorce process in by previously they've decided that they're not going to use lawyers. Oh, yeah. So um, the amicable kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So it kind of switches gears a bit when she gets her involved. And yeah. she's based on this real life figure who is a divorce lawyer who's known for being pretty ruthless and oh. also known for, for um, navigating kind of Hollywood Hollywood divorces. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, Laura Dern is exactly how you would expect her to be in that she's quite like her character in Big Little Lies. Um, yeah. And yeah, she's really good, but I just thought that, I don't know if that was like necessarily the most striking performance, but she's obviously someone who's very yeah beloved in Hollywood, uh, very much like Brad Pitt. So yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, and then obviously, yeah, we've got Renny Zellweger, mm. who aside from Bridget Jones, which not to, I feel like everyone's forgotten about her amazing performance in Bridget Jones <laughs> 3. But anyway, um, she hasn't really been in a film for like the past eight years. And then she came back. What's she been doing? Aside I from she's just been being um, Renny. I did think it was nice how she, she talked about Judy Garland in her speech, mm. didn't she? Basically saying that she was up for an Oscar in the 20s or 30s, maybe both, and didn't win one. So to have her recognised through the spirit of Renee Zellweger. <laughs> they as well, don't they, when they play like a sort of past figure. They're like, yeah. oh, I'm accepting it on behalf of them as well. Yeah, I, I see you, Judy. So, yeah, I mean, for me, Judy hasn't made a whole lot of impact on me personally, but um, I can imagine it's a role which Renee, you know, when characters can embody, sorry, when actors can embody the characters, 
that they are playing in such a way that, you know, especially if they're real life, um, I do think that, you know, they do tend to get recognised in award shows. Personally. Yeah, and, and on that level, I feel like it's actually really great that, like, Laura Dern gets nominated and wins for Marriage Story, mm. where, you know, she wasn't, like, transformed. Well, I guess she was playing somebody who might have been based on a real figure, yeah. but certainly not Judy Dent, the Judy Dent <laughs> Judy Dent, just the one in Cats. <laughs> um, Judy Garland or... Yes. Um, Lincoln or whoever else. You know. They will honestly. I bet you later on in our lives, maybe twenty or thirty years from now, there will be a biopic of Judy Dench <laughs> and Meryl and Meryl Streep. Oh yeah, but that would be great. I would watch that. So, oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I think it was it was an interesting awards season. Um, great movies and great movies that I you know I think one thing that's always quite nice that comes out of it is that you there are things that you haven't watched that you're then like okay well I've got to check this out. I've got mm, to, mm-hmm. You know um, something that you might have just not caught you're then like oh yeah i'm gonna go yeah. check it out later including like the short films as well like, lots of which are on youtube which i definitely yes, gonna absolutely um and i do think i'm now casting my i mean not to bring this back to cats i feel like i'm always doing this but like to bring it back to cats i do remember like when the adverts were coming out for cats mm-hmm. everyone was like it's gonna be oscar bait it's gonna oh be God, nominated for best know. song best picture and just it just does make Wilson's me laugh like i've just been at a funeral for the movie cats <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it does make me laugh you know, previously the director, Tom Hooper, had done Les Mis, which obviously was like massive Oscar bait and everyone was like singing, looking very haggard and worried. Yeah, the but they and... weren't computer animated to look like they had fur. Perhaps they should have been. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine Angel and I mean, just coming there were already some like, like, that was a good film and obviously like we were like prime targets for such a film. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But there were still moments in it that were like truly bizarre, such as the moment where Eddie Redmayne just does this crazy the smile does at the camera. Just this crazy smile during the barricade scene. If you know what we're talking about, you, know, you will know it yeah. and love it. If not, look up um, Eddie Redmayne Lemmy's smile. It's truly horrifying. I mean, it's 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 sweet and endearing, but also truly horrifying. Scary. Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, that's our take on the Oscars. Um, and now we're actually going to move on to chatting about um, not Oscar bait films that came out too late, but still a great film, Emma. So as we said, um, we were lucky enough to see an advanced little screening of uh, the new adaptation of the Jane Austen book. Emma, which is probably secondary to Pride and Prejudice in it terms of fame. Is, but it has also had these really big adaptations in the past. You yes. Know? So I think most people know it. And, mm-hmm. um, obviously, also, you know, was the inspiration behind the movie Clueless, which yes. I think is perhaps almost its most famous adaptation. adaptation. Um, yes. But, you know, they had that one with Gwyneth Paltrow and all that. So yeah, like, I think it's definitely not Pride and Prejudice level, though, is it? In terms of how many people know about yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah. But so it's been produced by um, Universal. Um, and as we said, it came out on Friday the 14th, aka Valentine's Day, the day of romance. So if you did not take your girlfriend or boyfriend to see Emma, then what are you doing? Then you should Me and Francesca took one another and had an amazing time. Yes. <laughs> so it was, uh, we were so funny, actually. So um, we were kind of, not even directed, we were given some little passes to get into the building, told to go to a screening room. Nobody really greeted us. It was, it was awesome, just a yeah. room, a small room, probably about 16 seats. Most women, there were women there, right? I, yeah, I don't think I saw any. Yeah. yeah, and then me and Francesca basically sat at the back um, the film just turned on. We were like, okay, no adverts, of course, and just started playing. And it was quite yeah, funny. I mean, because I have been to some press screenings before, but um, yeah, there was no introduction of the movie. I guess it needed no introduction. It, it didn't. Um, so basically, we sat down, and it was, of course, it was very fun, comedic, and light-hearted. Certainly not um, too serious, which I think is good because Jane Austen's books are definitely not serious. They're not Charles Dickens level, like oh, social critique. No. Even though they are light-hearted social critique. And basically, it was quite funny because I feel like we at the end we left giddy and having had a lovely time and feeling super romantic but we thought that actually there were loads of parts where we laughed and giggled to one another and like spoke about things that we found funny and no one else was really reacting and we were like are we the weird ones at the back who just giggled the whole time see i think that was probably because it was an advanced screening right because mm. i think that um the movie is definitely definitely ups the ante on the humor mm. and there's nothing there's no there's very few moments that i don't think were like really based in the on the book you know, like everything, I feel like is coming from the text. Yes, I but I think the um, the director Autumn DeWild and the writer Eleanor Catton mm-hmm. really bring out um, the humour that's just like latent in Jane Austen's work. And like mm. there are little things like just I I even exactly, eye movements. Eye movements there's yeah. so many little eye. There are so many little eye movements in that film. Time to the music. Um, you know, for example, when you have um, so the main character is Emma, 
Um, and she's flanked by many other characters and there are some parts where she stands between two who she has a specific relationship with and then she looks and then back and then they look and look back and it's all accompanied by little twings of yeah, music. Yeah, which is highly enjoyable and like kind of stylized. and I think that's one way in which I thought it was like a little bit well there were several ways in which it was different from other adaptations but mm. I think one was definitely that it has this almost like Wes Anderson like candy yes, floss aesthetic I agree. Yeah. Um, which was really enjoyable to kind of sink into you know yes. and I think um, one of the most popular recent adaptations of um, Jane Austen's work is the 2005 Pride and Prejudice mm. with Keira Knightley mm. which I think very much was all like she was like walking through like mud and like you know obviously it was still romantic and dreamy but I think they kind of went for more of that social realism and I would say I call it a BBC vibe if you ask me just in terms of that there were no pigs in the no pigs it's very beautiful lots of landscapes everyone is very gorgeous and very natural while um you know the decisions made by the um the costume and um set designer for um emma were to be very precise very with with the outfit everyone's very put together everything's very neat there's a you know fun little dichotomy between the servants sort of um running after the needs of the aristocrats and the aristocrats being very high and mighty and and, you know pointed and neat so um, and I think, again, that's not to say that's exactly how it was at the time, but I do think that it makes a fun little point about, like, and a nod as well to the social critique Emma, Emma? No, Jane Austen's trying to do in her books, which is to kind of poke fun at rich people, I think. Definitely. I think it um, it highlights the wit um, and, and, yeah, the kind of hypocrisies and mm. um, social ridiculousness of like the yes. time is, de- is definitely underlined yeah just the oh you know people have too much money you know there's some funny and also there's some funny scenes that take place in the little little ribbon shops where you know all these nicely put up women are just looking at ribbon and then they have this like encounter in the ribbon shop and it's all it's very silly but i do think that like you know i said i told my mum she i thought she'd really like it because yeah. she loves a good silly jane austen adaptation um and it, yeah, it was really fresh, which I really, really loved. And, and made them, they made some great casting choices as well, didn't oh, they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think, you know, with with those kind of beloved characters mm-hmm. that we've seen be embodied by people like Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. Ramona Garai, who we love. Oh, yeah, know. we adore her. Um, Look, if we, if we have done a Dirty Dancing episode, right? I'm not sure we ever have actually done one devoted to Dirty Dancing to Havana Nights, but okay. we have mentioned it many, many yeah. times. We'll do a dedicated one, but yeah, we we'll get that. Anyway, yeah. Ramona Garai. Um, yeah, so she, had, she played um, the role in a BBC adaptation, which was also really good. Um, but yeah, we have um, a relative newcomer I mean she's like an up and coming star isn't mm-hmm. she Anya yeah. Taylor-Joy yeah. playing Emma what I really liked about her was that she's she looks very young yes. uh, which is in fitting with the fact that Emma is young she's about 21 you know, isn't she yeah, yeah and the movie is a kind of coming of age story as much as it is a romance yes. and that is why it obviously worked really well when it was transported to an American high school because it is her kind of learning as a young person yes. how to operate in the world and, you know, how to almost, like, use her powers for good. But, yes, you know. because the character of Emma is meant to be very pretty, um, very full of wit, and um, she's... Handsome, clever and rich. Handsome, clever and rich. Um, and she... So those are all the qualities that a young woman who wants to be independent in Jane Austen's world needs to have, and Emma does talk about how she doesn't need to marry because she has wit, beauty and money um but absolutely uh, emma is definitely a character who has power over people and learning to use it for good as a 21st century high school girl is very similar to learning to use it as a seven 18th century yeah 18th century. young woman and i think she you know she played that really well um mm-hmm. and she was very engaging and um, obviously her comic timing was impeccable. Like she was she was really good in the role, I thought. Um, Absolutely. Very well cast. And I do think that this film makes something of the fact that they are all very young. I think in some other adaptations, everyone's the men have seemed quite a lot older or they've had it seemed a bit more sort of fluid with how old anybody is. But I think the youth of the characters is very much played upon in this film. When it comes to things like, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy gives a real vulnerability to Emma, which I think is really yeah, important. There are scenes where yeah. she actually cries or gets really cross and shouts. Or when she has her spontaneous nosebleed. <laughs> yes. Um, so I do think that's also something I commented on when we saw it, was that I like that everyone was quite young. And for me, again, it just stops that whole weird thing when the male heroes of these films are super old in real life and the women are all super young in real life. And you're like, please make this stop. Yeah, I, I think I think that it, it also adds to this kind of like youthful vibrancy. And I think the, the main ways, like we should clarify that this film, it doesn't reinvent the wheel. No. And it isn't as interesting an adaptation as the recent David Copperfield movie mm. or um, 
to name drop it again, Little Women. Yes. In that it doesn't kind of restructure the way the story is told. Or change who the characters kind of are and those kind no, of things. No, it's a very white film. It's, you know, it's not doing colorblind casting or anything like that, um, which, you know, it, in in some ways is perhaps a shame. Um, yes. But I think it does emphasise that Emma, because of the fact that she is very wealthy and very privileged, is able to kind of lead the life that she wants to lead like she mm. talks about how she doesn't feel any pressure to marry because she just literally there is none yeah, yeah and there are moments where she talks about how somebody like harriet smith who's like the kind of young protege she takes under her wing doesn't necessarily have that flexibility and has to kind of use her like feminine wiles in order mm. to get up in the world so there is still and as you say obviously jane austen is seeped in social commentary in terms mm. of the way in which people speak to one another mm-hmm. um and I think the other way in the film in which the film is kind of modern, quote unquote, is definitely that kind of stylized vibe, which yeah. feels in fitting with yeah, Wes Anderson I already mentioned, or like um, you know, that a Marie Antoinette movie with um Kristen Dunst. Oh yes. Kristen Dunst. Um, yes, that was very that was very modern, wasn't it? That very, was like the ahead felt of very, time. Really. Felt very rock, didn't it? Punk rock. Yeah. And I do yeah, and I, I also do think that um with Jane Austen, you know, these ideas of Emma saying she's a woman who doesn't need to marry because she has money and wit. And um, Jane, not Jane, um, Elizabeth Bennet from Pride and Prejudice, again, stating that she doesn't want to marry if she doesn't love them. You know, those are things that Jane Austen wrote herself and ideas she put in her own book. So to say that these ideas weren't prevalent and weren't believed or thought of in the time that Jane Austen was writing is very, just completely untrue. So I like the fact that these films seem modern in the way they're being filmed and the characters, but actually they're not such such far departures from the kind of characters as Jane Austen wrote them, aside from, as we said, you know, um, we talked about this after we saw the film, we thought Emma in this adaptation was a bit more of like, a, a, just a bit of a nicer person than she has been in other ones because, you know, instead of making her, so Harriet Smith as protégé she takes under her wing, some other adaptations or maybe the book have made it seem as if their friendship kind of fizzles a bit after the whole events of the book and, and, the, and the film and the yeah. signs. Well, in this one, they come back together and become friends. And, you know, the even the difference in social class between them doesn't mean they can't be friends. And I, think, I think that's a nice change. I agree, yeah. And I think also that, that difference in social class was... Um, definitely emphasise that there are more scenes where you see Harriet at this kind of school for orphaned girls that she that she was on very unsettling yeah, red clothes. Tail style red <laughs> so I would say it was this film's one stylistic misstep. Yes. Um, but yeah, you. I think you you see much more of the the idea that their friendship brings out different sides in both of them. Harriet, yeah. who's played by Mia Goth, is like very very youthful, mm. very exuberant, very smiley and mm-hmm. sweet. And I think she brings that side out of Emma, who's genuinely a bit more haughty and kind yes. of um, reserved. So I think that was also yeah that was quite refreshing and it was a little bit different. Um, but yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about the kind of rock and roll style of the movie Marie Antoinette. Mm. Autumn de Wilde has this kind of like rock background in terms of she did like music videos and stuff. And she said that she made some of her casting decisions kind of as though she were doing a music video. And she said she cast Johnny Flynn, who plays Mr. Knightley. Because when he looks at you, you're not sure if he's going to cry or punch you. This was a quote I saw and I was like, oh my goodness. (gasps) So I was already a big fan of his. Um, He's in the Netflix series Lovesick, which is great. Would definitely recommend if you haven't seen it. Um, And it's a kind of like uh, modern take on the romantic comedy. Mm and obviously he's like the romantic lead in that, um, but it's also a very different role. Um, and he's also, he's been in this movie Beast, where he plays a beastly boyfriend. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I laughed. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, he kind of, and it's more like the role where he's going to like punch you in the face oh, rather wow. than cry. And immediately, as soon as you said that, I was reminded of Beastly, that film with Alex Pettifer and Vanessa <laughs> Hudgens, where it's like a weird adaptation of Beauty and the Beast, and it feels, anyway. I mean, I guess it's sort of also kind of not unlike uh, that in some ways but no it's also very unlike that um and yeah he's had like quite a varied career so far and he's going to be playing david bowie in um uh, a new oh, how kind of biopic of his life but basically like his family haven't um okayed it uh. Uh, and it's not gonna have any music in so i think it's sort of like a snapshot of his life at a very specific time which is a very particular kind of biopic you know where they're like this is just them for one month in 1962 or whatever like, it's that kind of vibe wow anyway all that said yeah he's he's a bit of an up-and-comer but he's also been someone who's been around for some time mm-hmm. was already a fan of him already thought he was very attractive, knew I was going to enjoy him in the role, and I thought he was a great Mr Knightley. Like... He, he was, and particularly because I feel... So I enjoy the Pride and Prejudice 2004 version, which is controversial for some, 
Because most people prefer the 1990s. The very long, very Colin uh, Firth loyal, version. Very yeah. Colin Firth themed yeah, one. For yeah, for me, Colin Firth is nice. He's fine. But me, Matthew McFadden is a much more sexy Darcy. And I think, like, in the end, Darcy is one of those classic, sexy, romantic heroes, you know. Um, so, I'm just saying. So, <laughs> <laughs> just keep it like, sexy, romantic heroes. Yeah, so my boyfriend isn't listening to this. Um, and I think that um, Donnie Flynn as Mr. Knightley has that same like, kind of sex appeal that it's nice to have to see Knightley have because in other adaptations, he's been very straight-laced. And, you know, one of Knightley's big things is that he spends most of the film running around berating Emma for various things. Which and... can make him quite unlikable because yeah. I think, you know, as an audience member or a book reader, you are kind of on Emma's side even though she doesn't behave well the whole time, but she's your heroine. Yeah. So when she's being constantly scolded by this older kind of patriarchal figure. Yeah, being mansplained. It's kind not of, that fun. Whereas in this movie, it is fun the whole time. Yeah. Like, I never feel like it felt anything other than, like, it was coming from a place of affection for her mm-hmm. and care. And also it was very flirty. So yes, it was, like, fun to watch. And I think they avoided it seeming as though he was bored. Which I think, yeah, some adaptations have fallen down that. Yes, and I think it comes at the age of the actor and the way he looks. And I think having him be kind of young looking and slightly dashing, or very dashing. And, you know, they, they play this from the beginning, you know. There's quite a, it's quite shocking, I was surprised. <laughs> I was shocked! <laughs> I walked out the cinema. <laughs> so there's a surprising bit. Um, so we all know, or maybe you don't, but most of us romantic comedy lovers know the Colin Fir- the famous Colin Firth scene in Pride and Prejudice where he strips off his shirt keeps the rest no he doesn't he keeps his shirt on sorry he strips <laughs> off just his outer clothes and jumps into the, this murky lake near his house and just swims around and then he comes out of the lake and he's all like waterlogged our friend <laughs> who will remain nameless absolutely adores this scene and she's not alone it's often voted as like one of the best moments of yeah, people in the 90s time. were odd man anyway um, and they do this similar kind of thing where they uh, you know they stop short of objectification of the male body rather than the female by having him in his introduction in the film, yeah. jump off his horse, and Knightley is well known for walking around and being an active man, never taking his carriage, walking into his house past all his many, many servants, um, and then um, stripping off, well, they strip off all of his clothes, and you see this whole, like, full-on, like, behind but naked shot. There's no more nudity in that film aside from that. And I do think that for me, it really helped up the vibe of Knightley as more than just this boring man who lives in the house next door to Emma's and just berates her all the time because he's a bit of a, you know, he, he's very moral, is Knightley, and very noble. So he spends most of his time being Emma's conscience. Um, so it makes him more than that. It makes him like the slightly romantic hero that you see throughout the film and he's really supposed to be, in my opinion. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think um, they also add to his kind of he has a kind of eccentric vibe like that so the scene right we are uh, as you kind of already guessed like somewhat spoiling this um but i don't think we're saying anything that will will Emma came out in the, in the 1800s 1700s but the one Come thing on. that i'm about to say was like the one part where we were a bit surprised yes. which is like so they have and this is such a staple of a jane austen movie and i love it they have a romantic dance together um, at a ball mm, for me it really rivaled the amazing night Darcy and um, Darcy and Lizzie dancing scene in the 2004 Pride and Prejudice yeah, like and they beat that which is an amazing scene and like my personal favourite which is um, from Becoming Jane uh, which is like the sort of weird Anna Hathaway of <laughs> <laughs> Jane Austen's life with James McAvoy oh my god where basically he like sweeps into the dance um, she's like where is he and oh my god she's actually dancing with Lawrence Fox I just remembered this so like you know how Lawrence Fox has gone a bit crazy recently oh gosh um, but anyway, um, wow. anyway she is dancing with him and then like James McAvoy sweeps in anyway it's a similar level of like simmering seductiveness and when you're in the cinema being like yeah and so they have that moment which is kind of the awakening of their feelings for both of them yeah and then um in a way that was sort of kind of interesting it was suddenly like dawn like were they supposed to have partied all night i think possibly yes um anyway that's what they did they all partied all night it's the morning and emma's gone back to her home and nightly like Runs after her runs carriage. Runs after her in this kind of like manic way. But yeah. also, like, and we were like, oh my god, what's he about to do? And there's like heavy breathing, it's like heavy breathing, and everyone's like, oh my goodness. And then he like, what did he lie down on his floor before or after that? I can't so remember. yeah, he ran in, and then basically, it's you kind of think to yourself, and then he and Emma come face to face in the courtyard, and you're like, wait, this hasn't happened in the book. 
Yeah. There is no, like... You know, there's a lot of the plot. Yeah, it's like at the end of Pride and Prejudice 2004 version where they walk to each other across the misty field and you're like, wait, what's happening? So Rubich's surprised, surprised, um, and then they get interrupted by Harriet coming home drunk, having been attacked by by gypsies, which I also forgot happened. Yeah, and that's something that I think, like, is such a bizarre plot point. And I, like, yeah, so I think they kind of, they brushed over that somewhere. Yeah, he gets back to his you know, massive house, takes off his shoes and his coat and just, like, lies on the floor. And it's, yeah. like, it's, like, this release of tension where you're, like, oh, my God. It was good. It was... I mean, I feel like it really helped keep the movie pacey, now I think about it, actually. Yeah, and I also felt as though he... I felt like they had their discovery of mutual feelings, or certainly on her part, yeah. earlier than some movie adaptations that I've seen. Yeah. Because, so, her other, like, quote-unquote romantic interest who also features on the posters mm. is Frank Churchill who's this kind of mysterious figure who comes to the village mm. funnily played by the evil seductor man from um, the BBC version of um, War and Peace which tells you what you need to know like he's very much like a Willoughby he's, character he's got an evil seductive face yeah, yeah um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> and so he um, you know he, he is the, the, the other romantic lead right kind of but basically I think in this version like she never really seriously considers him she's maybe like her head is turned because he's interesting but... but she's never it's never kind of like really like it doesn't the film doesn't spend too much time going on about it because they want you to be rooting for the Emma and Knightley pairing mm-hmm. and I really liked that because I felt like it kind of I, I just felt like it signposted the romantic crux of the film like much better more clearly yeah. yeah and it also made the misunderstanding in terms of you know uh, what happens with harriet mm-hmm. and knightley and everybody else it, it felt like that was then funnier and also just just worked better really yeah. i definitely think so um you know so there are some decisions to slim down or take away certain parts of the film that make it quite complex you know the the back history of the characters and how minor characters know one another and their stories is not so focused on as it is in other perhaps longer adaptations which is good because it really helps to make sure that you're focused on emma as the main character Harriet as another one and then Knightley as well in in their story rather than confusing you with a lot of like Austin style backstory which can be very complex but I still think the ensemble it's very much an ensemble oh yes and I think you know you you can very much figure out like who everyone is basically it's just like the inhabitants of the town you know she lives in yeah and there are some also some really stellar performances from others um we had Miranda Hart playing the ever annoying Miss Bates character Mm -hmm. who is basically um a chatterbox who lives in the village um, who is very sweet-natured, but is massively irritating. Um, you have Bill Nye playing Emma's kind of obsessive-compulsive father, who's obsessed with finding breezes in the house. Um, and then we also have um, the obnoxious cleric, Mr... Yeah, Elton. he's played by um, Josh O'Connor, yeah, who, who is, is in what, a great, God's Own Story. Yeah, God's, God's Own Story? God's, 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 God's Own Country. God's Own Country, a film we absolutely <laughs> yeah, love. Yeah. Um, and he absolutely, a massive comedic turn for him. Um, and there, of course, there are... Well, a lot of other up There are so many famous faces. Young actors. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are two actors who were in the, the Netflix series Sex Education, mm-hmm. playing quite different roles. Um, and Yara from Game of Thrones is in it as well and a Spectre Lestrade from Sherlock yeah it is like a lot of um, we were saying it's like a lot of like the BBC classic people but all the people that you like love and you would love to watch in a film and yes. love to see them do something different so yeah it's, it's and all of them I think really emphasise the comedy and the irony mm-hmm. in their characters yeah but also bring like an emotional heart to it mm-hmm. which I think is you know Miranda Hart for example I think you could easily be like oh she's playing a kind of like 18th century version of, of her, like, Miranda, Miranda Hart yeah but you know, she's not, and actually there's the, this moment where she's wounded emotionally, and mm. I think that, yeah, that's, like, really upsetting to watch on screen. Yeah. So, yeah, she's wonderful, as you say. Absolutely, she is. And I think, yeah, the greatest strength of this film, really, is it, with As Little Women, it's hard to refresh something which has been done over and over. And Greta Gerwig made the decision to refresh it by changing up the, um, the costuming, the casting, and then the time way in which the film was the story was told while emma doesn't really diverge from the linear nature of the story or the major plot points but it just shakes up how the characters interact with one another gilmore girls i would say style fast talking which keeps it really nice and fresh um and then again i think you know things like start you know we are seeing these historical period films more and more stylized as we go and i think because they really help create a theater like sense of artistic direction you know that really helps draw the audience in you know you feel encapsulated by the world of emma much more 
than you might if it was sort of a bit more, um, I don't know, run-of-the-mill. And sort of stage, and, you know, yeah. I think by having it be this pastel pink and yellow confection, mm. I think it in some ways opens it up and makes it feel more realistic, which is odd when you think about it. Yeah. But I guess that's a... I mean, the other film I think that's going to be done that sort of recently is The Favourite. Oh, um, yeah. And I think the sort of snappy dialogue, which in this movie very much comes from Austin's mm. book, yeah. I think it lends itself very well to that kind of, as you were talking about earlier, the sort of like asides and, yes. you know, those moments. Um, and it also just has this kind of, yeah, this sort of sultry, seductive feel to it, mm. whilst also being kind of whimsical and dreamlike. And yeah. In my opinion, it's like everything you could want from like a Jane Austen adaptation. It's, it is what you want. Like Jane Austen, I think the reason her books were successful is A, because she were piercing social satire, but also just romantic. Like there's a reason that Darcy is one of the great romantic, great romantic heroes. And, you know, in the, from this adaptation, you start thinking that Knightley's been hard done by because um, he's just as mysterious and romantic and angry. Yeah, <laughs> you and know? I think it's, it's funny as well because the Clueless movie, which like I love and like, I think you know everyone's seen it so many times. Mm. Um, they the, they try. And, I realised that they have the knightly character, aka Paul Rudd, the um, her like former stepbrother. Oh yeah, um, and that's because they clearly didn't want her to have a sister. Like so, they they obviously chose that to be the kind of like oh, vaguely familial right, like relationship. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the original story, he's like her brother-in-law. Yeah, so her sister's married to his brother. Oh right, they, um, they didn't really really make much of that in no, the film. No, it was more like they? he was a neighbour. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, sometimes as well, it's kind of everyone's always been like, oh, it's a bit strange that she's he was like her her mm. former mm-hmm. stepbrother. Like that was like, yeah, a slightly yeah, weird vibe. Yeah. Whereas um yeah, I think in the actual original story, the mm. the way in which he knows her is somewhat different yeah um, and a fun little aside as well before we finish is um uh so there is a family called the westerns who they go to the house of and it's the same house as they use in Poldark, which is a fun oh, little yeah 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 that's what i was whispering to you oh. um it's a fun little you know you just see them hanging out in the dining hall of the same um the same dining hall that you know um ellen not ellen tomlinson that Demelza uh, and um, Poldark, Ross Poldark, hang out and have their is it fights and drama. House? It is, yeah, George's house used to be Francis's house. Oh, where you have Aunt, Aunt Agnes, or whatever her name is, sitting also in the background R. knitting. R. Also, R. everyone is dead, oh my goodness. Um, BT, I think BT Eadney was in a film I saw recently, um, but now I can't remember the name of it suddenly. Oh, she was in David Copperfield. Oh, was she? Yeah, all these BBC actors get around in the period drama. So I feel like the period drama world is very incestuous. Everyone knows one another. But yeah, I think it would be interesting to see um, whether this, this adaptation sort of takes off in the way that some mm. Austen adaptations have in the past. I mean, you know, Jane Austen is not getting any less popular. Or relevant, actually. On. And I think... Um, you know her fan base of which you know i think many of us would count ourselves as among even though we're not like those people who go and like dress up as her characters and live in a film we will be we we will be doing that at some point (laughs) no but like there's that movie austin land with kerry russell where she goes to this like sort of summer camp where everybody's like embroiled in the world of jane austen that sounds like have you ever seen the adam's family van and unfamily family it's the second adam's film they go to this like the kids go to this weird camp and dress up as native americans and settlers it's all very unsettling which sounds very problematic yeah it was very problematic but that's the whole point i guess well uh, anyway yeah i I think um it's i imagine it would be a film that would satisfy jane austen purists but i also imagine it would be a film that that um you would enjoy as someone who you know, has had no interest in mm. Austin movies or, you know, just would write it off as period dramas. And I think yeah. uh, by kind of, like, making it, like, very fresh and... I was going to say funky. Oh, I was like, that is funky that a bad word to use? That feels kind of, like... Yeah. Cheesy. But, yeah, it, it has got this kind of, like, um, inherent sweetness but also, like, kind of sassy satire element mm. to it, which, like, is just really enjoyable. And we just had a great time going to see it, right? Like So romantic. I texted my boyfriend so, after being like, it's so sweet, so romantic. Oh, I love it. Oh, my God. Um, and it reminded me of how I felt when we went to see Waitress for the first yeah. time, um, which was essentially just, it's so full of, like, kind of, it's kind of, like, sexy and fun, but full of, like, love and friendship. So you just feel so happy after seeing it, yeah. which is nice, I think, because, again... Films like Parasite and Joker, as we've you know we discussed on the on the show on the show, um, are doing a really good thing about social critique and about exempl- exemplifying but raising up issues which we'll be thinking about as a society. But it's also nice to have a bit of escapism, and I think Jane Austen is kind of ultimate escapism. And I do enjoy that it's a bit less sort of like windswept and like dramatic than um, Pride and Prejudice. You know, with Emma, you're probably having a little bit more fun. 
Yeah, and I think that's always how Emma has been presented um, uh, and how it was written. Mm. But I think, yeah, this adaptation really brings that out of the text. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah we actually it. didn't have a bad thing to say about it. No. And we, we do say bad things about these we talk about on the podcast sometimes, not all the time, because most of the time yeah. we do love everything that we talk about. But yeah, so congratulations to the cast and the crew. I really, really definitely um, enjoyed it. And I think Emma itself does a great job of being extra relevant as a film. Like, as you said, I don't know how well it will take off, but um, it's just beginning its run in the UK, gosh, on very soon. So Yeah, and we'll the see. US as well. And yeah. We recently had like a screening where Anna Wintour like, presented it. I think the sort of fashion oh, side, so which, stylish. I mean, in a way we almost like didn't really speak about, I think we kind of touched on, but... It is incredibly stylish. You know, it may... Like, at first, I was like, oh, these kind of, like, ringlets. They basically have these very tight Regency like ringlets. Pin curls at kind first, of things, I was yeah. like, oh, it's kind of, you know, an odd look. And by the end, I was like, I will do my hair like... I'll do that <laughs> and I'll wear my cape, you know, like oh I'm gosh. wearing Inspired by the Oscars. Oh, I know. <laughs> here, is, here is... I mean, I always imagine you in Little Women world, but you can be in the Emma world as well. Yeah, just hop between, you know. Yeah, meet May Knightley's. His butt was great. I'm just going to say that now. My goodness. Yeah, and I do agree with you that, you know... The His butt was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but also the fact that they um, immediately, you know, it's that kind of, like, female gaze thing again. Like, they mm. immediately were like, hey, so you're here, and he's hot, and there he is. But he angry tears off his clothes, like, three times in the film. Yeah, no, like, he did. Yeah, like, yeah. fully, but he just tears off his clothes at random points because of anger. And he's but, very, like, you know, he has this hair, and it's very, like... Oh, I don't know. He's oh, so Johnny Finn. I mean, he's so dreamy. He also sings. Like he's like he. Oh my gosh, um, he does sing. And he sings in the film, yeah. which was like interesting. I thought because I don't know what did like did eighteenth century men sing? Yeah, I guess they did. In um oh um Jane Eyre. He sings in Jane Eyre. Oh, yeah. Mr. Rochester. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> also another good adaptation. But yeah, I think. Um, oh, I'm sorry. He, I'm sings, not... he also plays the violin, and that was him actually playing the violin. Oh, really? Um, and it was also the actress playing Jane Fairfax. That was her. So there's little music recitals that always yeah. is in these oh, films. Oh, of course there is. And um, books. Um, but yeah. He also sings. Um, he has like a folk group, and he sings the uh, the end who, song. Who can deny um, a man who sings? Honestly. Yeah. Anyway, this is why we love musicals. Yeah. So true. Men who can sing. Men who can sing. We love you. You're great. Yeah. Go you. On that note, <laughs> all the men you can sing, get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> Amber, just before we, well, we're coming to the end now. Thank goodness for everybody. Um, but before we sign off, we thought we would just have a quick uh, little flash fun chat about things we've been enjoying in the past amount of time in the world so I don't want to set a well-known time I didn't want to set a limit so what have you been enjoying what would you want to what do you want to highlight or chat about Uh, yeah well I think um you know a movie that I really enjoyed that I saw recently Mm. that um has won a couple of awards but hasn't really been in the sort of mainstream um globes oscars chat so much um is the movie queen and slim it came out in november in the u.s Mm -hmm. It just came out in the UK. Um, it stars Daniel Kalula, um and Jodie Turner-Smith. She's relatively new to acting, but she's been a model, and he was obviously in Get Out, and it's, yeah. like, you know, really big. Um, they play this couple who have to kind of accident... Well, they end up going on the run, essentially. So it's the kind of, like, modern-day Bonnie and Clyde. Oh. Um, they meet on a Tinder date. It all goes terribly wrong. Um, it highlights um, the police state in America. It highlights racial injustice it's also um in a very different way to emma but it is similarly romantic it is like swoonworthingly romantic and it is incredibly beautiful to look at um it's completely engulfs you in this road trip that they end up going on um it's cool. just a stunning film it's yeah. like sublime to watch like i absolutely loved it and it was such a vocal cinema crowd like i think because because of the nature of the movie like it's kind of it's hard to d- define in a genre it's like a thriller mm. It's like a action film. It's a romance. It's, there's moments of comedy. There's you know moments of pure tragedy. Uh, it was also compared to Romeo and Juliet, and I think it has that kind of star-crossed, Ooh. you know, the fates not quite aligned vibe. That's not really fun. Um, it was written by Lena Waithe, who um, co-wrote Master of None with Aziz Ansari. The oh, show. yeah. Um, uh, it, yeah, it, it's just really worth seeing. So I would really recommend. Um, and I just had an incredible time watching it. I think, uh, yeah. Absolutely recommend. Yeah, cool. Uh, and from my perspective, ooh, well, I was going to talk about something silly, but now you've talked about something that you've enjoyed. Um, it I can actually, be silly as well. But I actually, um, I really enjoyed the um, the Witcher. 
I finally know. managed to finally managed to finish it last week. Uh, me and my boyfriend watching it together, and uh, I knew I would love it because a I love Henry Cavill. He plays the main character of Geralt, and also uh, I play the video game of The Witcher, which is kind of not what it's based on, but the video game and the show are both based on these fantasy books that came out a while ago, um, and they had a, have a very vocal fan base. And but they're based around this like titular character. I I not titular. Every time I say titular, I mean, and it's he not. is the Witcher. Yes. Is he the Witcher? Yes, but his then name is a titular oh, character. Oh, he's titular. Finally, I've used it correctly. Yeah. Um, so he is a titular character, and he is this grumpy, grumpy man who basically spends most of his time just like angry at everything. And I thought Henry Cavill smashed it as the role, and I find it so amusing, particularly because I love fantasy. High fantasy stuff really, really gets me. I think for me, it's more my style than Game of Thrones because it's a bit more magic y right. than just like full of violence, which is quite nice. Um, you know, they're, they're killing monsters rather than raping women all the time, which is quite nice for me. Mm. Um, and it's full of really great music. Um, they have this man who plays a bard called Jaskier. His real name's Joey Beatty, and he sings all these silly songs throughout the show. And there's an amazing one called Toss a Coin to a Witcher, which is such a banger. Really? And it's, yeah, it's really, it's a real banger. Um, and um, Netflix released it as a single, and it's one of those things that like, everyone was talking about for a while, and it's so good. So I really enjoy it. For me, it's, it, people said it's confusing, and it is. The film, the show's plotline is very 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 full of things but for me I thought it was like a challenge it was a show that didn't give it to me easily it made me work to understand what was going on which I loved and the character of Geralt I find just he's so grumpy and I love it there's some I've also been watching TikTok a lot recently yes I'm a 26 year old woman who loves TikTok and I'm not ashamed of it um, because I find it so much fun, even though it's a very strange, strange place. Um, and there's a lot of people on there who do accents. And one of them is they do Geralt accents and Geralt accents and impressions is just grunting right. with the occasional swear word thrown in. Um, so, yeah, I found The Witcher, I think, for me, was one of the favourite things I've seen in the past few months. Um, just because I thought that it was just oh so good. I loved it so much. Um, and they're bringing it back, which is great. Yeah, so it's it going to be a second season in, in October. It? Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, I haven't seen a fantasy show that I've loved really since something like, oh, Firefly, which is Space Cowboys, so it's not the same thing as The Witcher. But for me, I've been looking for a show that really gets me like that and has a main character who is grumpy and I love. So what is it about grumpy men that I really enjoy? <laughs> That's weird. Anyway, anyway, before we get into that... Um, if you want to answer that question, like, yes, it please write social in, media. write in. Um, but yes, yeah, talking of our social media, um, essentially you can connect with us on one well, three main ways. Um, we have our Twitter, which is RealLLW. We tweet uh, all about our podcast and various other things on there. Our Instagram, which is at Love's Labours Watched, if you want to see what show we are currently seeing, which, uh, because there's two of us, tends to be relatively often, mm. um, go on there. And we can also email us at loveslabourswatched at gmail.com. Business inquiries, personal inquiries, not too personal. <laughs> oh, God. If you have a question for us, feel free to contact us on any of those three. Um, and we'll be back next in two weeks. Yeah, we'll see you then. Yeah. Bye. Bye.